Well, there is a time and a place for everything. At least that's the, the phrase I've heard as long as I can remember. And I say this because what I'd like to share this morning is clearly not a message for certain places and people in the world at the moment. Starving populations without health care in Africa, Skid Row residents in Los Angeles, people in the thick of acute grief, families scared to death on the other side of the border pleading with God for a better life, folks dealing with sudden job loss and mind-numbing worry with zero little money in the bank, vast numbers of people wondering where the next meal will come from. What I have to say to all of you this morning is different from what I might say to any of the people in the groups I just mentioned. What such people need at this very moment are not words, but, but actions, tangible, immediate actions that, that change circumstances. Having said this, what I have to say today is for those of us who are in varying degrees of upheaval, upset, distress, and even grief in response to this pandemic, for those of us who could see a doctor if we had to. For those of us whose economic situation may be shaky, but who likely will figure it out somehow. For those of us who are going to end up on the other side of this worldwide mess in at least some kind of reasonable, decent shape. Yes, there's a time and a place for everything, and today may or may not be the time or place for you to hear what I want to share this morning but there may be a time in which it will be helpful to think about. Frankly, I know lately I've needed some reminding of some of the points I'm going to get into this morning. When I was a teenager, at least for part of the time, I was a total mess. I didn't know who I was. I had little confidence in my abilities. My self-esteem was not great. And I was living with my family in the tumultuous 1970s in, in Los Angeles. Those years were not benign. Slip-ups had massive consequences. It was in the middle of that era that my dad one day said something to me like, Robert, keep your chin up. Put one foot in front of the other. You will become stronger because of what you're going through. It's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted sympathy, let alone empathy. I wanted him to relate to my feelings and thoughts of distress. But there was a total disconnect between our worldviews. How was I, as a 16-year-old, to take in the wisdom of my dad, who had crawled up Omaha Beach, covered with blood and body parts? How could he possibly understand me? How could I begin to understand what the Great Depression had meant to him and his family? How could I imagine going through what he had been through? How could he possibly know what it meant to be a teen in California in my shoes? Well, my dad, who would be about a little over 100 now, has been gone over 20 years, and through great grace and blessing, we connected deeply in the years before he died. And now as I, as, as we, face a world turned upside down, 
I'm beginning to understand what he meant when he said, keep your chin up, put one foot in front of the other. You will be stronger because of this. Boy, I miss him. As I have some years under my belt now, I have seen firsthand what my dad was talking about and trying to convey to me. People do have the capacity to become stronger because of enduring tough stuff. My dad knew that having your army friends blown up and shot up beside you does not mean you cannot make it. He knew and lived the fact that we can overcome and can become more resilient, wiser, more compassionate and caring precisely because of the hard, terrible, and tough times we go through. He became a better person because of the war and other life-changing experiences. And you and I, my friends, can become better people because of this virus and the time we are living in. One person writes that through adversity we can gain a new appreciation of life. I have a lot to add to that. I'd say that through adversity we can gain a new appreciation of friends, of family, of people in general. We can get stronger and healthier, not only physically, but attitudinally. Through adversity, our life and our relationship with life and the world can become more sensitive, broader, and hopefully less self-absorbed. Through adversity, our faith can become more robust. We can come to depend on God more deeply and profoundly. Through adversity, we can learn the lesson of letting go of worry and embracing the good that is right in front of us. We can learn to live in the moment. Through adversity, we can become more selfless and meaningfully more helpful to those we know and to the stranger. Through adversity, we can learn to let go of being judgmental or angry ways of looking at things. We can be gentle with ourselves and others and gain a generous spirit. Through adversity, we can love freely and without hesitation. We can learn to be vulnerable together. We can more than overcome. You see, adversity, I believe, provides us with the unique soil to eventually thrive and be more and better than we were before. This morning, I'd like to share some brief snippets of some people who became stronger because of what they went through. And while their stories are different, each of them ultimately flourished even when confronted with really tough, hard things. Each of their stories can be found in Scripture. And although their stories happened long ago, and while their circumstances may be vastly different from our own, so much of what they went through is reflective of some of the experiences that many of us endure in one way or another. So let's take a look for a moment at some of these folks as examples of those who became stronger because of what happened in their lives. There was a woman named Naomi and her husband who lived at a time in which there was a terrible famine. Farmers went broke. Food production ceased to meet demand. 
people went hungry. Some starved or died of other diseases related to malnutrition. The national economic scene spiraled downward. And so Naomi and her husband made the decision to leave their homeland to go to another place where there was no famine. And they took their two sons along. Well, not long after arriving in the new land, Naomi's husband died. And so there she was, a new place, two young sons, not knowing anybody and thick grief. Well, time passed and she and her sons settled and eventually her sons married. And while we don't know a lot about their lives, we know that tragically her two sons died, leaving widowed Naomi with two widowed daughters-in-law. It's hard to imagine such tumult. Well, after some time, Naomi decided to go back to her homeland, and one, one daughter-in-law, Ruth, insisted on traveling with her. And when they arrived back home, Naomi asked people to call her by a new name, a new name that in Hebrew means bitter. And this name, such bitterness, was a clear reflection of what Naomi had been through. Hunger, loss of everything, social isolation, grief, bitterness. Yet through these precise experiences, Naomi went on to lead an extraordinary life of purpose and meaning. She played a big part in God's plans. And it is so important to point out that while Naomi was going through the pain and suffering of her life circumstances, while she was in the thick of it, she did not know or understand how what she was enduring would set her up to be such an incredibly strong, resilient, and courageous woman who more than overcame. Then there was Mary Magdalene. We don't know a lot about her or anything about her family, but we do know that she was tormented by seven demons. Seven is an important number in Scripture. The number seven conveys completeness or something in its entirety. This suggests that Mary's suffering was extreme, total, and all-consuming. That is until one day she meets Jesus and he heals her. Yet because of what she had gone through, Mary Magdalene followed Jesus with courage and self-sacrifice. She not only overcame her circumstances, she thrived. Yet one day she would go through another terrible time. She witnessed Jesus' crucifixion. And on Easter was Mary grieving Mary Magdalene, who was one of the first people to see the risen Jesus and to tell the world that he had been raised from the dead. The adversity Mary dealt with is exactly what shaped her to be the amazing person she was. Yet I am confident that while she was in the thick of it, she was not aware of how her pain would become the source of her extraordinary strength. Then there's our gospel reading today. In it, we heard the story of the day in which Jesus asked his closest followers who people thought he was. And the disciples shared with Jesus what people were saying about him. And Jesus then asked the powerful question, but who do you say that I am? 
And Peter responds by telling Jesus that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus then tells Peter that he and the faith that he demonstrates will be what the future church is built upon. Well, I share this story this morning because it has a lot to say to us about how adversity can make us stronger and set us up for resilience, wisdom, courage, greater faith, and a whole host of other things. Here's just a sampling of what Peter endured in his life and some of the tough passages he went through. Peter gave up a vocation with little economic certainty for one in which there was none. He was told by Jesus to take nothing with him as he went from place to place. He endured a nasty storm that could have killed him. One day he feels so unsafe he tells people he does not know Jesus, therefore betraying him. One of his friends betrays Jesus, leading to Jesus' arrest and death. Peter is thrown into jail multiple times. He's beaten, he's flogged, he's chained. He has a vision that upends his worldview. He is asked to do things he always thought were wrong, according to his Jewish background and understanding. Peter went through hell in his life, yet all the adversity he endured is precisely what set him up not only to overcome, but to change the lives of countless people. Had he not gone through what was hard, it is doubtful he would have had the character to do what he did. Then you may remember the story of Esther. Esther was raised by her cousin named Mordecai, and while we don't know why, Esther's mother and father died and she was a, when she was a child, and so Mordecai adopted her. And it's important to note that Esther and Mordecai, along with their fellow Jewish people, were living in exile at the time. Their homeland had been decimated. Many had been killed. And what was familiar and known was gone. Grief, the unknown, being far from home, living in an unwelcome new normal, not having much, if any, control. That is what Mordecai and Esther went through before new doors opened up in their lives. Doors that would place Esther in a position that demanded courage, faith, guts, and risk-taking, none of which she likely would have been able to demonstrate had she not endured the pain life tossed her way. Clearly, Esther more than overcame adversity. And finally, there's the story of Joseph, one of the 12 brothers, one of 12 brothers, and one day instead of killing him outright, Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. He's taken from his homeland against his will into a new country. And while at first things are relatively okay, he is falsely accused of assault and is sentenced to prison. Betrayal, desperately missing family members, prison, as I mentioned, horrible family dynamics, life totally upended, separation from what is familiar, isolation. These are just a few of the words to describe the torment Joseph endured for a long period of time. Yet, it is precisely what he went through that set him up to eventually become a great leader, a leader who led with wisdom, foresight, courage, and a heart of forgiveness.
There's so, so many examples, but Naomi, Mary Magdalene, Peter, Esther, Joseph, five people who went through extraordinary life-altering adversity, yet each of them more than overcame. They were stronger, wiser, kinder, more resilient, courageous, faithful, and faith-filled precisely because of what they went through. They all learned to keep their chins up and to put one foot in front of the other. They all became stronger. They all became better at living because they faced the death of lives they had known. As I wrote this sermon this week, I looked outside at our beautiful grounds and our groundskeeping crew was here at the chapel working. It was great to see people being able to work. But each of them had face masks on. And it was a reminder that while blessings and good things are happening every moment, we are still living in a life-altering time for humankind. Some people are doing much better than others. Some will die. Some will lose livelihoods and what has taken years to create. Some will get through okay, some will not. Some will get through more than okay. The future is unknown. Timetables are unclear. I detest this virus and the pain and the torment and the death and the upheaval and some of the selfishness that we're seeing that it's caused. I want this mess and this suffering to end. But you know, as I take each breath, and as I think about my dad, as I take time to connect with God, as I ponder what is most important in life, I believe that we are living in a time of very rich soil. You see, if we pay attention, if we pray, if we emote and get our tough feelings out when we need to do so, if we're gentle with ourselves and others and cut ourselves and other people a lot of slack, if we give God thanks for blessings, if we remain, remain true to who we are down deep and hold on tightly to those we love, the very rich soil we are living in right now, while incredibly painful and tough, can provide each of us the opportunity to grow. To grow in ways we perhaps have not ever imagined. To become more and more and more of who God made us to be. Without a doubt, with God's help, through the adversity we face, we can more than overcome. And certainly, as my dad said so long ago, we can also become so much stronger. Amen.